Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy Koga and welcome to Hugh at Home. Today we're climbing to the top. And what does that mean for you? Power, wealth, fame, or maybe all three? We're going to learn what it takes to become a pro race car driver with local racer Damon's Resition and we'll check into the Hugh virtual chat. But right now we're going to go to the mountaintop that is currently playing at Royal MTC Main Stage. It stars Ray Strachan and Sharissa Richards. It is a beautiful play written by Katori Hall about Martin Luther King Jr.'s last day alive before his assassination at the Lorraine Motel, April 1968. Well, we can maybe officially say that the theatre is open. Well, virtually open, okay, okay. (laughs) So Royal MTC has the mountaintop currently on stage virtually starring these two amazing actors so let's bring them on in Teresa Richards and Ray Strachan so so good to see both of you welcome to Hugh at Home and you know normally I you know was very fond of always going to the media calls and seeing that you know two minute little scene done five times as we all got our shots and then you know getting to do the sit down chat with with an actor well I'm almost getting to do that today but uh, let's get into it right now, the mountaintop. And of course, I'm going to guess go to Ray because you've got the big role to play here, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, what was that experience like for you, Ray, in this kind of world of virtual um, and not really being able to be able to perform in front of a live audience? Yeah, it's, uh, it was exciting, amazing, weird. Uh, I I get to do the most known role. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it's the bigger role. We share this play, fifty fifty. Um, but you know, it's it's daunting playing the role of MLK, and, and like I said, exciting uh, due to the fact that Katori Hall's written such a beautiful play, and I get to play him as a human being. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be the guy that you see on the interviews and you see doing the speeches. I get to be a guy who kicks his shoes off, has holes in his socks, and just gets to be a, a man who's flawed. Was that hard for you, Ray? I mean, really, realistically, I mean, there's been so many different incarnations of that character. And then how do you kind of figure and get into side his head of just being a normal person? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of research. As an actor, I tend to try and find those personal ties I have with each character I play. Uh, and obviously to the extremes, I don't know what it's like to be a civil rights leader, and I don't know what it's like to live in 1960s America, but I do know what it's like to be a black man living in a country who discriminates against the color of your skin. Uh, mm-hmm. I do know what it's like to be away from my family and not be able to help them if danger does come. So, you know, there's uh, you try and make those ties, and mm-hmm. at the same time, you try and make them as human a- a- as possible. And uh, I think it's, it's a positive thing in these times, because it shows people that you don't have to be an iconic person to to be part of the movement. 
Oh, most definitely. And now for you, Charissa, your character, Kamei, and she, may I say, does command a lot of the stage and a lot of the play. Yeah, she's a great, uh, really beautiful, sassy, fiery character. I feel like Tori Hall has written, it's one of the most uh, well-rounded, fully formed, complex black women characters that I've uh, ever been read in a script and gotten the pleasure to play. I think Katori Hall has really written something beautiful with this. It's one of my favorite plays. It's been on my radar for the last 10 years and it's uh, one of those dream roles that have been on my uh, bucket list to play. So I'm really glad that I had a chance to play it because Kame is just, it's really, it's such a delicious character for an actor to get to sink her teeth into. And uh, I'm really fortunate to get to play her. Now, did for you, Sharissa, did any of what's happened in 2020, and not talking about COVID and the pandemic, uh, but talking about women, talking about black women, talking about women of color, um, did this add to your kind of arsenal into yeah. playing Kamei? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the great thing about this play is that, you know, it's you know, the, the topic of, uh, you know, the way Black Lives Matter and, and the movement that we're in is, is, is seems to be a sick, tragically a cyclical thing that, uh, you know, this, uh, our fight for civil rights has been going on for years and it still continues. And I think we will always be fighting it. And uh, so, you know, it's timely. It's, and it's even more timely after George Floyd's death. And, uh, you know, I was saying in, in, in our previous interview that I think if MLK was alive today, he'd be equal parts amazed and and horrified that this fight is still going on. But uh, yeah, I think what the, what Katori Hall, the playwright, has written with Kamei is, you know, really highlighted the Black women's, uh, you know, burden that they have, she has to, to, to care for others. And, 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 you know, this woman is not just your typical you know, black female character, but she is so complex and she has so much going on with her and has have so many objectives and she's fighting for so much that it's 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 great to have so many tools to play with and so many places to go and, and it's really exciting and, wow. and quite challenging. No, oh my goodness, no doubt. So Ray, when you're faced obviously with a very strong female character like Kamei, in your own mind too, in your own character, is it kind of good to kind of just kind of sit back and watch it all or? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it, it's amazing uh, as a as an actor to watch another actor uh, with such strength take on that role and just go with it and roll with it. And I do get to to sit back as an actor and watch Sharissa uh, just embody this character and then go. Well, I was about to say a term that probably would be correct. Uh, just go full out. <laughs> Full out. That's the clean way of saying it with this character. But as an actor, she is, uh, as, a, as a character, MLK, he's constantly being challenged mm -hmm. uh, by this hotel, motel worker about his, 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 um, his mission, his purpose in life. So he never really gets to sit back and, and, and really take it in. He is constantly being challenged by her. His, his views of the world are being challenged by her all the time, which makes it really exciting, actually. And we can kind of roll that into what's really happening in our world today, right? In essence, we are all being really challenged in our own beliefs, um, in our rights, and, you know, and, and how we live and, and who we even associate with, too. So mm -hmm. it's really interesting in how timely this play really is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's not just, you know, uh, we, we just finished off Black History Month and mm -hmm. definitely coincided with that. Uh, but we are in a, a huge shift, you know, with the pandemic, it's allowed us or it's made us mm -hmm. sit and, and really take in the world and the condition of the world that we're in, uh, especially in regards to money and the poverty gap and how that's really pe put people in a bind, especially with, with the pandemic here now. Uh, so it, it's, it's a play that allows us to reflect on where we are and what we can do as human beings, uh, yeah. how we can, uh, to steal a term from the play, pick up that baton, be a part of the movement uh, in any fashion, any way, any size role. Uh, Sharissa, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm spin, or taking up on that too as well and on moving forward, roles for black people, especially black women in the theater. Um, obviously, we want to see more of it. Do you see this happening? Are there more plays written? Are there more roles coming? I know it's yeah. kind of slow, but yeah. I mean, now is the time for us to find those stories. And I think theaters have the responsibility to find those characters, to find those stories and, and do the, the research and outreach needed to find these voices. And I think we have a responsibility as Black uh, artists and theater makers to bring those stories forward as well. I mean, you know, Ray and I have been uh, trying to get Winnipeg to do this show for quite some time. We've both been, you know, really passionate about it ever since uh, I moved back here about five years ago. Ray and I connected and we love the show and, and we're really pushing for theaters to do this. And, and I think that's, you know, we have agency as performers and as artists to approach theaters with stories that need to be told. And, you know, thankfully, uh, MTC rose to the challenge and decided to, to uh, put this one on. And, and, and it's, you know, it's stories like this that need to be told more often. And, and stories like this with characters that are so fully formed and have so nuanced. And I think we need more of that. We need to be writing our own stories as people of color so that we have more of our stories out there. And we also need to be like finding those stories and theaters need to be working together with artists of color to really bring those stories to the fore. Mm -hmm. oh, no, I, I think totally agree with that. Ray, I was going to now go to, um, going back to when we used to come for media calls, this was all shot uh, by Frank Digital, I believe. So what was the whole process of that like as an actor, as opposed to you're out there, the, you feel the energy of all that audience going back and forth? Yeah, as an actor, the process, you know, uh, COVID protocols aside, mm -hmm. um, in rehearsals was almost to the T of what we usually do. We had mm -hmm. time to rehearse, really mind the play, look into the play, play off each other in the rehearsal hall before we moved to the stage. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to the stage and then it got kind of different. <laughs> uh, we had people went walking around trying to figure out camera angles. And then on the day that we recorded it, we did the show twice. Uh, we had to stop for some technical difficulties with yeah. sweat and microphones. And of course, like you said, we don't get to play with the audience, which is a thing I miss a uh, hundred and whatever percent. Uh, you can't replace that. No. Uh, and I'm not talking about the size of the audience. It's not to do with the size and the size of the theater. It has to do with performing with an audience there and working off each other and listening to each other and being there with each other and being in that shared space. Uh, you can't replicate that. Uh, it, it's different with me watching it from my living room uh, with my partner and my dogs. It's, it's not the same. 
Yeah, yeah, that symbiosis of audience and actor is, you know, when you're filming something like this, a play, you know, it's it's so apparent how necessary that relationship is and how much, you know, you crave that as, as an actor. But I, I will say that, you know, uh, I've never clung to my fellow actor and connected <laughs> to a fellow actor in the way that, that I felt that Ray and I were connecting during this process because we only had each other, right? We didn't have an audience to play off of. So it was a real uh, deep, I felt a really deep connection as we went through this play and, and we really uh, relied on each other to stay in the moment, to stay connected, to fight for what we wanted as our characters. And, and it was a really beautiful thing to be able to do that. I think it was... Yeah the most connected I've probably ever been to another actor on stage in that way when you only have each other, right? Well, you know, yeah, I think they're, we're just going to cross the borders between uh, plays and film and, the, and, and movies, and it's all going to be blended into one. But, um, I, yeah, I, I would imagine, you're right, Teresa, that when it's only you and Ray on the stage, it's just you two. Uh, so it can really create some really intimate moments and and powerful moments so I, I really do agree on that um, you know maybe just I'm gonna throw this out here because it was really interesting Teresa you spoke very passionately about more people of color writing their you know writing their stories and and actors of color going to the theater companies companies and saying look at it, these works would we be able to maybe see and maybe it's not the right thing but to create uh, a theater for black people it's a good question. You know, I think uh, since George Floyd's death, I've really, um, my advocacy and my art has have really been connecting in ways that they perhaps weren't before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, as you know, uh, probably one of the older black actors in the city, uh, I'm really realizing how necessary it is to have a theater of color in our, in our town. We don't have one. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the right move. I, I always think that people of color find, you know, having more people of color in positions of power, such as owning their mm -hmm. own theater is a great thing. And uh, I, I think th that's definitely a direction. There's also, you know, uh, having artistic directors of color, like black, mm -hmm. a black artistic director would be such a welcome thing in our city um, but it is it is our responsibility as people of color and the you know these predominantly white institutions to come together and try to figure out how to create this work and find this work and and develop this work if it's not mm -hmm. if the work you know if they're like well there's no there's no plays out there people of color first of all that's not true there's plenty but also it's our jobs as institutions uh, in this cities as you know especially the theatrical institutions have been around for as long as they have, like MTC, to to work together with the community to find these stories and 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 develop new writers, you know, and and create works that uh, properly represent the the city that we live in. So, to be able to attract new audiences who perhaps don't feel like they have a home here at these theaters, and only by seeing themselves on stage and having people of color behind, you know, behind the scenes mm -hmm. as writers, as directors, as leaders in the community is the way to really bring the, the, these audiences into the theaters and, and, and perhaps this medium of film is also more accessible to people of color and to have them to create new audiences that way as well. So, you know, it's pretty positive. Yeah, no, I do agree. And I'm glad. So I just thought I'd, I'd throw that out there. And to wrap things up, Ray, I guess for you and all things considered, what was the most or biggest takeaway for you from being in the mountaintop? Biggest takeaway. Uh, before I get into that, I'd just like to add on to that. Um, I think 
due to the pandemic and due to people coming home, we have now seen a, a large amount of, of people of color and specifically black talent in Winnipeg mm -hmm. of all ages. Before, when I was getting into the biz, I had to go to Toronto to find a mentor, to find other black actors to relate to. Uh, this year alone, uh, so many, uh, so much black talent has been unearthed in Winnipeg. So many, so much young talent coming out of university, going into university, in high school. The, the demographics are changing. So I think now, uh, of all times, is an optimal time to start a black theater. The black voice is strong in Winnipeg, and it's time to uh, come together. And in regards to... <laughs> What I've gotten out of, wow, I just used that as my pedestal. Yeah. Speaking of MLK. Wow. Yeah. See, see what happens? I still get, I got to get rid of this mustache. I, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll play Drake next. I don't know. The power's still there. But to come out of this, this play, um, I never realized how much of a call to action it is for the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I got to. To, to delve into black history, into MLK, into the black struggle, uh, into my own black identity. But about this play, it is such a call to action for the people in the audience at this time uh, to, to step up. If you do want to get to the mountaintop, if we do want to get to a place of equality, love, uh, anti-racism, anti-black, anti-poverty, anti-war, we all have to step up. And we don't have to worry about being at the level of MLK. Do what we can, get that momentum going, and we can get there. Uh, so that's what I got out of the plate doing it this time. Uh, yeah. And I think that message of legacy, passing on that baton, is a real is a real uh, important message in this play of like, every, you know, future generations and other people picking up this message and this, you know, the the mantra and the mantle and and passing it on as, and fighting for what they want and passing it along as well. Oh well. Well, thank you, Ray and Sharisa. And I'll just say that, yes, we're gonna, Mantle is going to have their newest Black People Theater and <laughs> introducing these co-directors, I, I think, right? So I, we just need a board and to pass it, and I will pass it, the motion, and you just bring, bring, on, all the money. Those, bring on all those young actors. Yes. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much to both of you. Um, and you can see The Mountaintop. It runs until March 14th. And you can go to the website, royalmtc.ca, for tickets and all the details. And we'll leave you with a trailer from The Mountaintop. America, my country, tis of thee. Room service, sir. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. smoking. Ain't that something? Yes, I am drinking my tea. I am drinking tea right now. <laughs> and to this I say, my brethren, uh -huh. a new day is coming. Well, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah.
Well, I don't think I've ever been in a race car with you, Damon, but I would believe now that I don't know if I'd even get into a car with you on a, on a normal day, but um, <laughs> congratulations as you have gone. Well, I guess what could be any guy's or girl's dream is to become a professional race car driver. So first of all, congratulations. A little Thank bit of a you. dream come true, but I also know that it's a labor of love. Um, you know, you did it from grassroots racing with your fascination, as I called it way back when, um, when you like to do ice racing and going onto the Gimli racetrack. But now, a pro racer, S, uh, what's it going pro? SRO America. And, That's and right. the second season, I can't believe it. And you're going to be leaving in days for season three, but season two in the middle of COVID. But given that I know you, Damon, no one else would be doing a television series, a reality series, on himself in the middle of COVID about race car driving. Correct? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was not easy. It was no. start, It started out easy. The first season was a little bit tricky because, you know, we had to kind of figure the whole show out and kind of get to know the series and all the people involved. And, you know, you have, there's a learning process to that. And then second season, I'm like, okay, we know. We're going to hit the ground running. We know exactly how this is all going to go. We had our first event, no problem. Second event, canceled due to COVID. So I was in Florida on Feb or March 12th, 2020, when they, you know, Heather's calling, my wife's calling me on the phone saying, like, they're talking about shutting the borders. You got to come home. Like, what are you talking about? It's fine. <laughs> and yeah, they shut down the race, which was like, the Grand Prix of St. Pete. So like they blocked off the whole street, city streets. IndyCar was there. Like it was a huge, huge event and they shut it down. And I was actually sitting in my car waiting to go out for practice when they canned the event. Wow. So we all came home and spent, you know, three, four months at home. Mm -hmm. And then um, things kind of started opening up here in Manitoba and uh, the race season started up again in July, mm -hmm. but it was very different. Uh, you know, it was international travel uh, by air. And so, you know, navigating border crossings and, you know, I had to get special waivers from Homeland Security to enter the country. And like, it was, it was really different. And, uh, but yeah, it was, we just kept on, kept <laughs> yeah. on going, you know, and we just didn't stop. So um, in some ways I kind of feel like it was a bit of an opportunity too, because it seems like the world stood still and, we didn't. No. And I guess uh, for the viewers out there too, Damon, sort of fill us in on, on the type of uh, race car driving. You know, first of all, our, obviously we could think of Formula One, but no, this is a different type of race car that you are personally driving, correct? 
Yeah. So in 2019 and 2020, I was in a series called SRO TC America. SRO mm -hmm. is like an international racing sanctioned body. And TC America is stands for touring cars. So it's uh, basically sports cars that are converted to racing. So they're they're similar to what you could buy. So I was mm -hmm. racing a Subaru BRZ, which you, know, you could go buy, but you know, it had like roll cage and fire protection and <laughs> you know, a bunch of suspension. And, it was you know, a race like car. A lot yeah. of other stuff. Yeah, it mm -hmm. turned into a race car and raced that for two years. And then starting this year, I'm racing a uh, Supra GT4 car. Yeah. And GT4 car is GT racing. They're kind of, kind of based on a car, but instead of being based on like a Supra BRZ, you know, it's like mm -hmm. the Toyota Supra, McLaren mm -hmm. 570S, uh, BMW M4, things like that. And those cars are made by the manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So the level of um, refinement and, you know, engineering that goes into it's on a totally, totally different level, uh, a lot faster, a lot more reliable and um, a lot more sophisticated cars, lots of carbon fiber, lots mm -hmm. of very sophisticated suspension and electronic systems in them. And um, GT4 is kind of like the entry level. There's not, it's, there's one series below GT5. They don't have that in North America. Uh, but GT4 is kind of like the entry level into the GT class, which is cool. pretty much GT cars are the highest end of like production-based cars you can get. So how fast After are these cars? How fast can you go? Uh, we probably won't get over much over 160 miles an hour in them. Well, uh, but they could go faster. You just <laughs> the tracks are just usually not long enough to go faster. They're fast enough. So by now, though, you've been racing for a while. I mean, the courses now. Do you know? Or again, is season three going to be a lot of the same same thing? You know, learning courses and and learning the curves and whatever angles. Um, no, we, uh, you know, I've been around the series enough. I'm pretty sure all the tracks are the same this year, except for possibly Mosport in mm -hmm. uh, near Toronto. But that might get canceled due to COVID because I don't think Toronto's gonna or Ontario's gonna let a bunch of American <laughs> race car teams come in no. in uh, May. No. Now, maybe if it was in October, but yeah. probably not in May. Uh, so that might not be happening. So we might be going to another track that we've been to before. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now the learning curve is just the car. Yeah. Not the tracks. Yeah. So it's um, a little bit I don't easier. know. Haven't been in the car. I was supposed to be in the car last week, but we had to postpone because there was a bunch of travel restrictions coming and I didn't know what they were going to be exactly. And I didn't want to be trapped. No, not this States. time. So I wanted to wait until I knew for sure what I was dealing with in terms of restrictions and whatnot. And so, so like, I'll be getting in the car this weekend. Oh, wow. This is like getting a new car all the time. I was yeah, just going to say, totally. uh, just sort of talk a little bit, I guess, on the team and the camaraderie mm -hmm. or like, because you're driving, like you're in competition with each other. It's not like, yeah, you're a team, so to speak. So what are, are those dynamics like? Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Like everybody's really, <laughs> really nice. Um, yeah. The team, the guys on my team have all been people I like and we all yeah. get along and you know there's a little bit of you know wanting to get kind of annoyed <laughs> with each other a bit but you know at the end of the day we're, we're all sort of in the same boat we all know the drill mm -hmm. uh so you know if you're if your teammates may be a bit more aggressive with you than you'd like or vice versa you you might not like it but you understand it so it's you know it's easy to it's not too hard to deal with <laughs> so season two is out and where can we see it? 
uh, actually season one oh, season starts one. playing on CBS Sportsnet on Sunday. Perfect. Okay. The 21st. All right. Uh, and how many episodes? The only episodes? thing is CBS Sportsnet is only available in Canada in Eastern Canada. Ah, uh, okay. So... so it's an American, <laughs> it's a mainly an American network. Um, but Any we're chance? working on some deals in Canada. We're just, to be honest, the U.S. was the priority. It's yes. the biggest market. And, uh, and the thing is, when you make an arrangement with an American broadcaster that might have some Canadian territories, you um, kind of have to play it their way. So Ooh, um, interesting. we have to find some options. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're really managing the rights of the show and, you know, where it can go and where it can't go and what's a conflict and what's not a conflict. And um, so it's it's that's also a bit complicated, uh, but we're hoping to have it in Canada soon. Good. Well, you know what? You can just keep us informed. And um, so and really it is behind the scenes of your journey. Uh, getting in and sitting behind that race car. Just, uh, I guess, as a closing question, you have two lovely daughters, twin daughters. Are they going to follow in their dad's footsteps? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I know. Rachel likes to, uh, she has, they have their little cozy coop and, you know, they'll be sitting there banging on it with their toy hammers. Like, what are you doing? He's like, we're fixing the race car. I'm like, okay. Oh, let's see. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, if they want to, I'm sure that's going to be extremely stressful for me. And if they don't want to, that'd be just fine. So, you know, uh, you, kinda, well, you do what you got to do. <laughs> well, super cool. I mean, hopefully they'll eventually be able to see season one, two and three of their dad. And uh, I think that is awesome. And we're all so proud of you here in Winnipeg. Um, Thank you. Now, fingers crossed, maybe we get to see you race in Toronto. That'd be even better. But uh, like you said, maybe... The summer is a little too soon, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If uh, if most part happens, I'm renting a house and bringing the whole family out. Ah, well, but that's uh, that's great. I don't great. think it's going to, but <laughs> I want to. <laughs> All right, so Damon, congratulations! Looking forward Thank to you. season three, and uh, I want to see you bring home a trophy. Absolutely. Thanks, Tracy. working like crazy to get a new motor in that car. I think it's fear that we lived in was, God forbid somebody wants to come out to the shop, as we were still doing it out of the driveway. 15 kilometers an hour more going into that corner, oh my God, did I ever go flying off that cliff. Welcome back to Hewitt Home. We want to wish Damon Surzician all the best both on and off the track as he continues in season three for his racing. 
Now let's check into the Hue virtual chat. We are a podcast, so you can check us out on all of your favorite platforms at I Like Hue. This time we're talking about endless love. Absolutely. And this is an interesting topic. I, I loved everyone's different points of view. I think I was kind of hearing when I was popping on, Joanna, you were talking about uh, the importance of platonic friendships and also, you know, loving yourself, loving the person you're with, looking for love. And I caught that this was about endless love. And I want to throw a different, uh, a different thought in there. For me, endless love right now is, and this is going to go a little dark, but it's, it's communicating with the people that have passed. Mm. And I find that um, it is, it is something that I didn't expect would be so important to my life, that the people who passed before me, my father, um, friends, that they, that relationship, that love does not go anywhere, that we still have strong, beautiful relationships filled with love for people who are not here in on this earth. And it's, um, it's something that I am thinking about a lot. I have a friend who is um, uh, nearing the end of her life and going through cancer treatments. And uh, so thinking about friendship and the endless, endless source of support and witnessing of our lives. I, when I think of love and endless love, I think of the people in our lives, like Susie, you were saying, like your sister, like you're going through that relationship with your sister, you know, those are the people who are witnessing our lives. And I think our significant others play that role so well is that they're a witness to our growth. They're a witness to our struggles, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, they see it all. And that's a very special relationship to have with anyone, whether it's a friend, a sister, a brother, a partner, a parent. Um, that, that, uh, that's an incredible gift, no matter, no matter who it is in your life. And I remember, does anyone know the, um, the writer Isabel Allende? Um, she, in one of her, she's, I've written, I think a couple of autobiographies. She said that the love of her life was her mother, that that was the most significant relationship she had. And she had, and she is a very, like, she's a very flamboyant uh, past. She had lots of lovers and husbands and, but her most significant love was for her mother and I always, that always reminded me when, you know, when we're talking about love, that there are so many forms that it can take that, that uh, enrich our lives. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm listening to everyone talk and share, you know, there's, there's so many different uh, ways that love, love helps us, you know, and, uh, but I, I really do like to think of it as, the people that we allow to witness us in our complete humanness, uh, those are the most amazing 
relationships. I want to say a special thank you to all of our guests on today's show. And a reminder, you can see all of our Hugh at Home episodes and Hugh virtual chats at ilikehugh.com. And you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts at I Like Hugh. But for now, I want to leave you with this question. Who is your favorite icon and why? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or message us on Facebook or Instagram at ilikehugh. But for now, stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time on Hugh at Home. listening. This has been a production of ilikehugh.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.